Welcome to Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line, Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. You've tuned in to hear compelling conversations on hot topics and trends with law enforcement professionals and personalities from across Canada. And now, a message from our sponsor, Wilfrid Laurier University. With Laurier's 100% online degree programs, you can earn your undergraduate or graduate degree from a top-ranked university with an academic and institutional tradition that is over 100 years old. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, a Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of Emergency Management, National Security, Countering Crime, Border Strategies, and GIS and Data Analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards a BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Hello, Blue Line, the podcast subscribers. We hope you're doing well today and welcome back to another episode of Blue Line, the podcast. I'm Brittany Schroeder, editor of Blue Line magazine. Today, we are joined by retired RCMP telecommunications operator and emergency police dispatcher, Janet Wizawadi. Janet is married to a retired RCMP officer and was an RCMP spouse for nine years before she started her own career there. Today, we are going to talk about her experiences as an RCMP spouse, her time with the RCMP, and her diagnosis of PTSD and what that meant for her. Thank you so much for joining me today, Janet. Oh, happy to be here. Awesome. So um, jumping right in, I'd love to ask, um, could you share a little bit about your life and what led you to where you are now? Well, I think life just gives us all of these curveballs. I grew up in Manitoba. Uh, My dad was a conservation officer. We moved about every three years, but to small communities within the province. So when I uh, met my husband, and that's a whole different story, uh, he was a security guard uh, in Winnipeg. And uh, I thought, oh, well, I'll never move again. And uh, he joined the RCMP uh, six months after we were married. And it was the first, uh, he was the third troop of married members to go in as special constables. So I always said to him, I said, see, you got turned down before when you weren't married. So then you married me, you're more stable now, they'll accept you. <laughs> and, and that was when they were transitioning in 1973 into um, looking after the airports. And so uh, it, two years later, they decided, oh, well, these guys are okay now. They can be regular members. So back to depot he goes. And by then we had two, two children, two babies, and he got transferred uh, to uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia. And uh, uh, part of being a spouse is you have to roll with whatever there is. And uh, I'll tell you, it wasn't fun with him being gone for four months and me having to sell our our place, uh, pack up our babies. So when I got to Cranbrook, uh, our daughter was nine months old and our son was uh, 21 months old. Our kids are 12 months to the day apart. So back then in 1973, 75 it was, um, nobody helped you. Like I had my daughter on my back, my son in my arms, uh, the airlines wouldn't give me breakfast because I might spill something on my my baby. And uh, so that was my first uh, 
my first journey, and I have lots of stories about, hey, you just got to roll with it. And don't, and you know what, be active. Like there is, um, uh, when I joined, or when my husband joined, the spouses weren't really involved. Nowadays, the spouses are really engaged in what their members are doing and that. I, we weren't uh, involved at all. In fact, the RCMP made my flight reservations. They did all of that. Gave me my ticket and, and away I go with these two babies. But the guy who made the, the plans told me that I couldn't fly to Cranbrook. Uh, yeah, you know, I had a four hour layover and I'm from Manitoba. I don't know the, the West that much. Well, I do now. But so I had a four hour layover in Calgary and these two babies and flew into Castlegar and had to get off the plane. And my husband had to drive from Cranbrook to Castlegar to pick me up. But the plane I got off of was going to Cranbrook. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And that was the days long before we had internet and stuff like that. I like I was 21. Oh. So, you know, with these two kids. So so that was the beginning. But <laughs> from there was our really our first posting outside of away from family and everything. And and uh, that was a journey in itself. So whatever you want to ask, ask away. I got nothing to hide. <laughs> Well, just branching right off of that, how was it moving away from your hometown and your family? And, you know, like you said, you were young. How, how'd that go? I'll tell you a secret. My mother-in-law didn't like me very much. Oh, no. So our moving 2,000 miles away probably saved our marriage. <laughs> it was 25 years before she actually liked me. No, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> But she got there eventually, right? <laughs> she did eventually get there. <laughs> so do you yeah. know what? We have all kinds of reasons. Some people stress about it. Um, do you know what? In those days, we had to pay for long distance and that. We wrote letters. Yep. You know, you do what you have to do. It, it, things are so different nowadays. But, uh, <laughs> anyways, it, it was good. Everybody came to visit us and... So, so when uh, so when you and your husband were separated, were you guys writing longhand letters? Oh yeah, together? yeah, awesome. Yeah, I love that. I love letter writing. So yeah, I want that I want that to come back. <laughs> well, and you know what? We can. That's again another another story. But it, it we should be doing that more. There's there's lots of psychological reasons to be doing that too. Mm -hmm. So as your husband's career went on, you told me that you were a our RCMP spouse for nine years before you started with the RCMP. Can you tell me about that time? And, you know, just like you said, your journey through that? Well, be, being young, like I was a young mom and uh, Cranbrook in those days was a small detachment. Like when we were there, it's, it's a much bigger detachment. By the time we left, we were there for two years. And these are things that I'm sure some other spouses will relate to. Uh, Les was away on course in, in Vancouver and uh, he, it was mother's day and he phoned me after midnight. I was really <laughs> pissed off at him. Oh, no. Anyways, anyways, so he gets on the phone and he says, Hey, do you want to move? And I said, yes. And I says, where are we going? He says, the queen Charlotte islands. I says, good. The East coast. 
Uh, he says, no, that's the West Coast. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, but don't worry, Queen Charlotte City is only 80 miles away. That's okay. So we go on our house hunting trip. And uh, we fly in a jet to Sandspit. And then we get on, we have to wait for our next flight. But you may hear people say we go on like high to time. If you're in Australia, you go on, you know, the native time, whatever. So we're waiting and waiting and waiting. There's a guy sitting across uh, in there. There's only a few of us. It's a small airport, right? And uh, we're waiting. My husband goes up and says, hey, like, what's going on? Oh, Denny will be here soon. Denny will be here soon. <laughs> so then we get on a beaver. Now, a beaver has is a float plane. A small okay. boat plane, five people. Well, uh, we put six in. The last one sat on on the luggage. So so then we land at this one place on the water, and it's like after a while you start to wonder where are you going. And it was a logging camp, and we let somebody off. But in that, they had to take a bunch of the luggage out to get that person's luggage. Yeah. And the person sitting in the front seat that we had seen reading a book turned around and looked and my husband had RCMP deco on his suitcase and he says oh you're my new member so this was the sergeant so then we go to land we go to land at another uh place he says oh what do you think of Masset and but it was another logging camp so by the time we got to Masset we were okay but it, it was a military base and there was no housing for the RCMP at that time we had to find we lived in a shack really um and uh, then we ended up, long story short, in uh, PMQs because they had, they were starting to shut down the military base. But, you know, life is such an adventure. If people would only realize that, how many people can say they lived on uh, someplace where you had to fly in only because there were no ferries then? Yeah. And, uh, do you know, you build a community around it. The the um, native village wasn't very far away. We sent our kids to, uh, they were, um, they turned uh, two and three when we were there. Uh, so they went, we sent Christopher, our oldest one, to, to the, the um, school, like the preschool down at the village. Now they, they were taught by the nannies, the grandmothers, and they were told all kinds of stories, like, the culture, and I know some people, we had people a couple doors down, she used to t scare her kids, say, you know, if you're not good, the, you know, the hide are going to come and get you. Like, why would somebody do that? You know, uh, and, but we, we loved it. It was a six man detachment. And uh, <laughs> I got a phone call one time. I says, just a minute, I'll get less. And they said, no, no we want to talk to you. And I said, uh, uh, yeah okay what yeah we'll be there in 10 minutes to pick you up you have to guard uh, I, I, what so I said to my husband um what do I have to do and because a spouse in the smaller places if they didn't have somebody the spouse stepped in and they think there's a book called the uh the second man is a woman and uh so and, and female members just started coming in. I think the first troop was in 1975, if I'm correct. So we, it was all, all male crew, uh, crew there. And so I came, came in and I said to my husband, what do I do? So he showed me how I should search the person, pat her down. So 
I get in there and I'm like a little nervous. And, and the, so I go to pat this girl out. She said, not like that, like this. So she showed me how I <laughs> take care of her. But, you know, we all have an opportunity to make a difference, right? So we sent our kids to the village and we would have some, some of the nannies, some of the grandmas, we had two of them come up to our, our and RCMP are not always well received. Mm. My husband, and there's so many great members out there that, that really care about their community. And, and they came up and says, you know, your son, uh, uh, we like your son, him polite. And, and it, it was an honor to be serving up there and get to know different cultures and stories, native stories and that. And, and the beaches are beautiful if you ever get a chance up there. There's a ferry to there now and, and things are a little different. And someday we'll, we'll go back for a visit. <laughs> but uh, then we got transferred to Souk. And uh, after two years and we got to Souk. And uh, I, I never had to worry about getting a job. There was usually, and, and it might be different a little bit now, but the, we've got so many people can work virtually now. But in those days, you didn't. But I had worked in a bank in um, Winnipeg. And then I worked in uh, a bank in Cranbrook. I had a job before we even, when we applied for our mortgage, they offered me a job. I had a job as soon as I got there. And then I got to Massett and the manager had known I'd worked in Cranbrook. So he had me come in. And then as soon as we got to Souk, the, the, the credit union there, I got a job with it. Awesome. But the day after we bought our house in Souk, um less got promoted and transferred to Vancouver or Victoria so oh, no. so it was but we were within there was a distance at that time on how far you know before they would transfer you physically transfer you but it was it was a great place we have great memories and uh then uh that's uh that's when all I ended up joining the RCMP from there awesome so before you before we jump into your time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was it about every two years that you guys moved? Yeah, yeah. It, it, the first couple ones were. Okay. Uh, it, we were in Souk about uh, two and a half years. Okay. Um, and that's because, and we probably would have been there longer, except that uh, at at during that time, so that would have been 1979, 80, 81, 82, um, the RCMP had had two headquarters in BC, E Division One and E Division Two, and Victoria was the other one. And they ch- decided to shut the Victoria one and move everybody to Vancouver or distribute wherever. And right from the very beginning, the only place I told Les I would never move was Vancouver. <laughs> so I always say they had to move everybody to get me there, but. Uh, Again, that that's a great story in itself. But the, the biggest challenge is babysitters, like childcare. You know, finding I ended up in Souk, uh, quitting my job at the credit union because I and and same with in Masset because I couldn't get a good babysitter. So I looked after somebody else's kids and my own. That was our biggest challenge. And and uh, not ha- you know there's a story about surround yourself by the, you are the five people you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. And um, there were lots of negativity, like spouses or friends with kids. And you can say a bitching and complaining. And 
you know, um, a story in mass that, uh, so I was uh, at a, um, what do you call, a pottery class because you try and get involved in the community, yeah. right? And so I was complaining about Les. He wanted to buy a boat and, it, you know, and just complaining. <laughs> so, so he gives me, a, uh, she gives me a phone call the next day. She says, geez, Les, Janet, you got to be careful. People think you and Les are splitting up. So I phoned Les at work. I says, guess what? We're splitting up. <laughs> I said, he says, oh, give somebody else a rest. They can talk about us for a while. <laughs> that's, that's funny. During that time, when you were working or you were at home taking care of your kids or other people's kids, you know, um, how did it feel having your husband be, you know, an RCMP member and, you know, possibly putting himself in danger sometimes? And, you know, I'm just wondering about how that felt for you. Do you know what? I never, I never worried about that, you know, and, and I look back, but you know what? I think that I was also conditioned. My dad was out all the time. Okay. My dad worked different shifts. He was a conservation officer. He'd be out at night and he'd, uh, you know, I sat in a really small town. So they had court, I don't know, once a month in the town hall and stuff. And, you know, I went one time and sat through and listened to some of the stories of, you know, who he'd arrested and, and what for and stuff. I just wasn't conditioned to that worry part. Mm-hmm. And I think that because I had that different kind of life, not everybody has had that life. Like we moved, we, there were, um, my dad wasn't the boss in the beginning, but later on, as I got older, he was the boss and there were other guys coming and going that he worked with and, and stuff. And we lived right, right on the station. So there was always coming and going and equipment going and summers was fires. Mm-hmm. He was always gone for, for fires and, and stuff. So I, I think that somewhere along the line I was sort of conditioned to accept that and and don't forget that was a totally different time right this was in the 70s 80s and even into the 90s we didn't have the media we've got now Mm. we didn't have the horrific things happening that are happening now I think the biggest thing that that uh we worried what started with the airports was um in Quebec, it was a kidnapping and, and stuff and that. So, so had, they just wanted to train more members and, uh, but it was a different time. They, I don't know. I work now with lots of members that we've lost and stuff. So yeah, I, I feel for those. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to hear that. Um, And now moving into when you started with the RCMP, you know, what was it your husband and his work with the RCMP that inspired you to join or, you know, what was it that was like, yeah, I want to, I want to be a part of this. Do you know what, when you got nothing to lose, you say, sure, I'll go for it. So what happened is I I was looking after somebody else's kids and my kids Mm -hmm. and I got a phone call from my husband. I says, uh, my boss wants to know if you're looking for a job. And I said, I don't know, am I? <laughs> and uh, then he phoned me back and he says, oh, I've got all the paperwork ready for you. Uh, they need somebody just to cover for six months for a maternity leave. I says, okay. <laughs> and uh, so I started working uh, at the headquarters in Victoria. And 
I want everybody to realize that even when we don't think we can do something or it's not even in our realm of consciousness, that opportunities show up and we have a choice. I didn't, and nothing um, kept me away from that. It was six months. Anybody can do something for six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, they didn't care that I, you know, didn't have a degree or and And again, in those days, my grade, grade 11, and uh, I was only short two subjects for grade 12, but different provinces had different ratings. And at that time, I was told that my grade 11 was equal to a grade 12 in, in British Columbia. So that wasn't the issue then. So uh, I could read, write and take orders. And so that's when I started in, and I did this, the covering and that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And because uh, one of the women I worked with had a master's degree in education. Okay. And uh, she was working there because her husband was RCMP and she couldn't get a teaching job in Victoria. Because uh, Victoria was a prime place, right? Yeah. So she was working in there. And so she trained me and stuff. And as we got to know each other better, and, and then I really liked the job we did stuff there were no secure facts then everything was like ticker tape if you had a secret message <laughs> to send um some some people if you've got some older people listening they would know what a gestetner is um a gestetner was the pre photocopy like you'd put a sheet on and you'd wind it and you'd get your copies uh, we had that at school so we'd have that. our photos <laughs> like that now we have photo faxes <laughs> and secure stuff so it was just stuff like that you know sending messages retyping messages um and uh, you know data entry and stuff like that we were behind locked doors it was you know it was a secure area mm -hmm. and uh i think i think our shifts went till midnight and sometimes if something was happening we'd stay a little later so um but after a while, Liz said to me, she says, go back to school. You're interested in all these different things. And I said, nah, I'm not smart enough. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I wrote my entrance exam. Uh, I think it was uh, Camosun College. I can't remember what's in Victoria. And uh, I passed it. So I applied for a course and got in and then we moved. <laughs> but because of the move coming up, I, I uh, and my six months term was showing up I said you know what I kind of like this mm -hmm. so I applied and uh, managed to to get in to become a civilian member before that I was a casual just filling in part-time awesome. and um, then and we were off to Victoria or to Vancouver awesome and I think you were telling me before that there was a period of time that your husband was transferred and you weren't is that did I get that right well yeah because uh so he he was he was transferred to Vancouver. Mm -hmm. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. I had to look for jobs. So I went to and things were so different. We you know we sp spoke to the inspectors and stuff. It was a different time and place. And mm -hmm. and so I went and sat in the inspector's office and I says, well, if you don't have a job for me there, I'm going to start applying elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so then they came back and they they sent me. Uh, uh, it was. Uh, anyways surplus to establishment okay. and uh so it wasn't long before they had a position for me and that's when I that's when I started dispatching in Vancouver awesome mm -hmm. and 
how, how long was your career with the RCMP? Like how long were you? Emergency? I retired with 23 pensionable years of service. Awesome. But I had many more years of uh, contract work. Like I worked for a specialized section uh, in Toronto for four years. Um, and uh, then after I retired, I did uh, contract work in the Arctic. So I did six, just over six years uh, going for four months, you know, four times a year up to Iqaluit after Nunavut. And then um, when COVID hit, I also, I went between uh, Iqaluit and Whitehorse. So my last time I, I um, did a contract was I did, uh, I was in Whitehorse this summer. Awesome. Moving on to a more sensitive topic for some people, but I know it's something that a lot of officers are yeah. probably dealing with, a lot of RCMP. Um, you were diagnosed with PTSD, and I would love to hear the story, if, if you're willing to share the yeah. story around that, your experiences, and you know what it really meant for you. Yeah, and that, again, we never know what's going to happen, right? So life's a journey. And I, God has a place for you to go and you may not understand. So I was involved in four car accidents in 10 years. The first three, I got injured a little more each one, but the fourth one took me out for a year. And I like to say, um, God made me sit in my, you know what, until I got it. And um, that last car accident was in 2002 and I was off work for the accident. And um, one night I just was sitting in my living room in the dark crying, wishing I had died in that car accident. Oh. And I thought that everything was car accident. And I didn't break anything. I, I just pulled everything. But mentally, I was not capable of working. I couldn't concentrate. Uh, everything was emotional. And um, so I talked to the lawyer and I said, like, I need, I need help. I think this is car accident related. And so he sent me to the psychologist and I really want people to listen to this. Never, ever, ever work with someone you don't feel comfortable with. Yeah. This psychologist was decorating her office. So she met me in a restaurant. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our first meeting was in a restaurant and I wouldn't give you, I wouldn't pay anybody to go to her. And so I thought, well, I, I need to find somebody. I know I need help somewhere. Yeah. And uh, I'd done some personal development on my own before in Vancouver and Vancouver's a hub for that type of thing. And uh, so um, I just, there was this uh, night school magazine or paper and I saw that this one psychologist was teaching this course and I liked what she was going to be teaching. And I, so I phoned the school and I says, does she take clients? And uh, they said, well, I don't know. I says, here's my phone number phone her, ask her if she does, let me know. And she called me within half an hour. And I worked with her for six months. She was amazing. And she just worked with me the first day. She says, this has nothing to do with the car accident. This has everything to do with your job. Really? Yeah. And that was 2003. She diagnosed me. And that's before anybody was talking about first responders, never mind Never mind uh, dispatchers yeah. being affected. 
And it goes back, like, like I wrote a piece called The Night the Mask Cracked, and it literally did. That's the night that I was finding. And it took me till 2011 to write that piece. Wow. And it was because there had been a member that I'd worked with in Vancouver, because we worked, the city has its own police force. So the RCMP works outside in other areas. Mm -hmm. So we had a police officer that committed suicide in Gibson's. And uh, I've been really close to him. All of the operators were really close to him. He was a young member. He was just, he was just a really, really nice guy. Yeah. And we had a file that uh, really shook him up. And uh, he came in for the discovery. He had to, to go in and do some stuff. And there was just him and I in the radio room. And he said to me, he said, Janet, he says, I cannot rationalize this one in my head. Um. And six months later, he shot himself. <sighs> and one of our operators actually years later ended up on a psych board. Nobody was there for us. Nobody was there for him. Things are a little different now, but word needs to be shared. Yeah. And and then I was working in Van, or in Edmonton, and it's calls too, right? It, it's not just to do with the members. It's yeah. the when you. I always say that I can deal with any emergency, but when there is a personal attach attachment to it, that's when we're going to get get traumatized. Yeah. So. Uh, while I was off work uh, for something else, um, that's when Marathorpe happened. Okay. And I had worked with all four of those guys. Yep. And, and then one of our dogmen was shot. And, you know, we personally know them. We don't always see them inside, but, yeah. but Jim used to come into, into the dispatch center with his dog and, and stuff. And, and, uh, but the, there was a one that really, really shook me was um, a little girl calling in the middle of the night asking for help because her mom was being beat up by a boyfriend. And you could hear it in the background. But the emotional attachment was that she was probably the same age as my granddaughter, who was living with us at the time, mm -hmm. probably went to the same school as my grandmother yeah. or my granddaughter. Yeah. And all I could think of was that poor girl going to school the next day and her teacher maybe yelling at her because her attention wasn't there. Yeah. And just to skip forward, I took a, a course and uh, it was an awareness course and I can't remember the name of the title, but they were talking about, uh, and it was up in the Arctic and they talked about this little boy whose dad had been taken away by the police and that. And the next day the neighbor took him to school and the kid got in a fight and the kid went to this and went that and they suspended him and sent him home. That's the story of my little girl. That's the story I had in my head for my little, that little girl. Yeah. And that in itself, I, I just sat there and cried. There's a room full of people taking this course. I says, that is my vision of what would have happened to that little girl. Yeah. So we carry that stuff. And, you know, the suicides and stuff. What I did learn from, from working with the psychologist was that nothing's your fault. And that we had, and all my training after, because after 
the psychologist says, you don't have to work with me anymore. And these are different times. Like she worked really hard with me, gave me some amazing tools. And again, I want to say if, if you're with the same psychologist 10 years down the road, change because your psychologist or any of your medical profession should be, should be wanting you to move forward. Yeah. And that's what I found after I finished when she said, you don't have to work with me anymore. That's where I said, Oh my God, now what? Cause there's nothing from that place to help you move forward. Right. Cause it, it's like when you have a void, something wants to fill that void. Yep. And if you don't fill it with moving forward in something new and exciting, the old is easy to sip, to slip back in. Yep. And that's when I started my journey of, of personal development and taking courses and training with people like Jack Canfield. And um, so that, I work with anybody that's done their work because it took professional, you know, I want to say professional. They're all, all the people I worked with professional, some were traditional, some were Mm non-traditional, but it took all these pieces to fit together like a pie to make me whole again. That completely makes sense. And, um, this was actually talked about on our, our last podcast with David Perez, um, about he he said something to the effect of uh it's hard for officers because they are seeing everyone on their worst days and so like as a dispatcher too like you are hearing people on their worst days and you also are taking that in like you're you're not made of steel like it's gonna get in there and you know it's it's about like making sure that yourself is taken care of as well I always say that a police dispatcher has to think like a criminal, think like a member, and take action. And and you know what? Our, and, and to realize, and it's not always easy, sometimes the members are cranky. And sometimes we're cranky. Yeah. But they don't know what our last call was. And although we know what they've been dealing with, because we maybe sent them to it, we don't know what kind of trauma they've experienced from it. You know? And we had a, a RCMP doctor, medical doctor, that we would see. And, and he looked after me uh, after my car accident. And he sat in with a couple other people to see what our job was. And he'd been an aeronautical doctor. And he said to us, he says, you know, your job's more stressful than an air traffic controllers. Because an air traffic controller has a schedule. You guys never know what that next phone call could be. It could be a child on 911 saying, grandma won't let me have another cookie, or it could be an accident with anything. Casualties or yeah, anything. So you, you have to be in that state to deal with it. And right now they're, they're, the dispatch centers are way too busy. The, the, uh, the dispatcher does not have the time to come down. And I'll say that for the officers too. We need that time to come down. So people, anybody that is in a stressful job, and I don't care whether it's military, policing, whatever, we have to find something that will take us out of that state. So I got, I had, after a while, I'd have a picture of my grandchildren right by my monitor so that when I needed to change my state and I needed to smile, I'd look at that picture. Like and my, I have, I'm a great grandmother now, and my grand, great grandson's a year and a half. And my granddaughter sent me a picture of him doing dishes. He's a year and a half, and this big smile on his face. Oh. And 
And then she sent me a, a little video of him giggling. So those are my go-to now. And everybody needs a go-to, mm-hmm. you know, children. Um, I watched a video of this, this two-year-old having a temper tantrum and she's crying and yelling and stamping her feet. And then her favorite song comes on the radio and she stops and she goes, <laughs> and we, we have that power to do that. We just have to learn to do that and yeah. find the triggers to do that. Mm-hmm. And there, there's a story about a man that stops at a tree outside his house all the time. And the, he was asked, like, why do you do that? He says, this is my worry tree. I leave everything at this tree so that when I go home, go in the house, I leave everything outside. Oh, I like that. That's awesome. So it, it, you know what? It's stuff that we're not taught, but it's stuff that we can learn. Yeah. And it's, uh, and understanding, like, my husband, when I was still a spouse, I came home from work really upset about something one time. And he's on the floor playing with the kids and hugging the kids. And they were like a one and a half, two and a half years old. And um, I told him and he snapped at me and so terribly out of character. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't for till two weeks later, I found out that he'd attended a fire with two children the same age as our kids had had perished. Yeah. So if spouses are listening to understand that when they come home, they're not mad at you. And, and members, when they're in that state, remember that their family's not, not the kicking post. Yeah. And it's a learned thing that, you know what, you're not broken. I like to say this to people, you are not broken. It says PTSD, change that to PTSI or like post-traumatic stress diagnosis or post-traumatic stress injury. We are not broken. Our bodies were meant to heal. And with the right, right thing, right energy, right people surrounded in you, it can happen. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about uh, a little bit about what you do now? I had a radio show called um, online radio show called worldly connections Mm -hmm. because I, I like learning. Uh, And so I would search all over and I would send like I sent this one psychologist a message I liked what his, his, uh, uh, he wrote a letter to it says letter to my daughter Mm -hmm. was uh, his thing. And so I interviewed him and then I met somebody that uh, did crypto um, currency, I'd never heard of it. So I interviewed him. And it's just that's curiosity. I think we all need to be curious. Now, um, I did go to university. I have been accepted and gone to six universities before I was 60. I've never graduated. But every time we moved, I had to start over. I've got three introductory psychs, (laughs) because each one wanted psych. So I don't have I have a degree in life now, but yeah. I am now in uh, a, a BA program on metaphysical science. Cool. And uh, I can do it. Uh, I've got an accountability buddy, so we're doing it together. Awesome. And, uh, but the other thing is, is I, I haven't quit learning. I started with personal best seminars, working on myself and, and then uh, just any courses stuff before the internet. And then one day Jack Canfield showed up on my dial up screen 
And uh, so 2010, I've trained with him. He's been my mentor and teacher and uh, do workshops. Uh, you know, uh, it's all about moving forward. And when we stop moving forward and give up, that's when our health, health deteriorates. Mm -hmm. So going back just a, a step here, if somebody has continual health issues, start checking into your mental health. Because I had lots of how I was diagnosed with, uh, with fibromyalgia, I had endometriosis, I, uh, you know, there's all kinds of injuries that I had, mm -hmm. and survived. So God wasn't finished with me yet. I even survived a pulmonary embolism. Oh, wow. And not many people do that. So I feel that uh, there's a mission here. And however I show up is where I need to be. Yep. But my passion is working with people and sharing, sharing that you're not broken and that moving forward is what you're meant to do. And it's okay to wallow for a while. Just set a time limit on it. I like that. Right. So um, if I need to cry, it's really hard to cry sometimes. Uh, you know what? For anybody, sometimes the stupidest thing will make you cry. Mm -hmm. At other times when you should be like my best friend died, died in September. And it was like, it was really hard. Like I couldn't have that emotion. And that is part of the job. Mm -hmm. uh, part of what the anybody is that with their military medical profession dealing with emergencies and stuff, we have to put that part of us away and bury it. Because in order to do our job, we can't be emotionally involved. Yeah. And so I watch movies that'll, you know, make me, you know, have that emotion. And yeah. uh, my husband and I have a thing going and uh, um, we'll be married 50 years in July. Congratulations. And, and so we'll watch these sappy movies and we'll look and say, do you have broken eyes? Are your eyes? Leaking? <laughs> <laughs> and, but you know what? You have to laugh and have fun. Mm -hmm. And the main thing is have fun and find something. My husband went back and, and he's never been diagnosed. I have no doubt. Like he left the force angry at 28 years in and something happened and he, he left very angry. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but he's now, he went back to what he loved doing before he even joined the force. And that was his photography. Oh, cool. Go back. What did you love doing? What made you join the force or, or one of those professions? What was the emotion behind it you wanted to feel? Now find that emotion in your next step. I like and, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, that's, that's what I love doing. I like gathering information and people and heck, if I don't know them, I know somebody who does know them. So do you know what? Find what you love. There is always a way mm -hmm. and just, just know that, you know, when you're having struggles with communications, look for help. It's not, it's it, even Jack Canfield says, everybody should see a therapist and most trauma. There's another doctor and be darned if I can think of his name right now, he's out of Vancouver. Um, he says, everything comes from childhood trauma. Yeah. And so it's not maybe the same trauma you'll come into, mm -hmm. but when you experience something that takes you back to that emotion, you might not be able to identify it. Mm -hmm. And so you're never alone. 
you're only alone if you believe you're alone. Right. And so I'm very grateful that you're sharing this information because there's so much and our kids are traumatized by us. Yeah. You know, we don't realize when we're talking about an event that they're listening. I had one officer tell me, he shared this story. He says, yeah, I came home from work. He's playing clothes. He works in, in, uh, and, uh, his daughter said, so what'd you do today, daddy? And he says, um, uh, well, I, I looked at some B and E's and she's what's a B and E. And she says, break and enter. Well, she wouldn't go to sleep that night. Cause she was afraid someone would break into the house Oh no! and, and to take it to outside of a police force, my grandson, cause we raised our grandchildren for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. And when he was in kindergarten, they were telling them if there's a fire, you got to do this, this, and this. We had to put a smoke alarm in his bedroom before he'd go to sleep and he'd stand at his window. That's the tree we go to. If I got to climb out the window, we traumatize our children and ourselves. We re-traumatize ourselves innocently, innocently, you know, because we want to protect them and we share information. So we have to find a better way. And, and you know what, there's some great, great books out there for Mm -hmm. children that that share that and uh so just just keep searching or ask any one of your your guests if one doesn't know it somebody else does and Mm -hmm. we wouldn't be on your show if we didn't want to be public with this yeah very very true and you've literally just shared so many helpful pieces of information but is there anything else you wanted to say to potentially people who are listening today who have PTSD and are trying to, to move forward with it as well. Is there anything else you'd want to say? Reach out, call me anytime. <laughs> my, I'm on LinkedIn. My phone number is available anywhere. You know what? I always say my tagline is life's a team sport. And when we all work together, miracles happen. I may not be the person for you, but I can reach you, share you in that direction I have some great people in my life from military to police force to nurses. My sister is a nurse. You know, there's lots of great people out there. You just got to find them. And you know what? If you put it out there, they show up. Mm-hmm. Just, just you never know. It's like that job. If I hadn't said yes, where would my life have been? Yeah. And we've had such an adventure. If you look at life like an adventure and, and live life, live life. Hmm. don't live life like you're going to die, but live life like you're going to live. Oh, I love that. My husband had a heart attack at 43. We just moved to Toronto. We moved in March. He had a heart attack August long weekend. He was 43 years old. We had two teenagers and didn't, I knew one person. And that one person is somebody that we had known in Vancouver. She had been a neighbor that they had moved to. And so that's who I called and she was there. He, he was well, find positive things like, um, now what, um, what I did when we, we met this great couple in Massive. we meet most amazing people, each move, make sure that you pay attention. Some people tend to stay just with RCMP families. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, the RCMP family will always be there. And but it's the communities get involved with your community. Mm-hmm. And they, they were in armed forces and they moved to Germany and they said, come and visit us in Germany. Like there was a house there we could stay with. And, and there, our response was, we can't afford. Mm-hmm. 
after Les had his heart attack, it wasn't how it wasn't we can't afford it was how can we afford it? Mm -hmm. How can we do something? So gratitude, you know what, we can change our energy any way we want. Mm -hmm. But it's a choice. Life is really a choice. Yeah. And you have to choose. Uh, I think that is the perfect way to end our discussion. That is that just sums it up perfectly. Janet, I want to thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your journey within the RCMP and you know with your husband and now what you're doing after the RCMP. Um, so thank you very much for joining. Thank you for having me. It was fun. To everyone who listened, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Blue Line, the podcast. Be sure to check us out on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can stay up to date on your Canadian policing news at blueline.ca. Thank you to everyone who listened. With Laurier's 100% online degree programs, you can earn your undergraduate or graduate degree from a top-ranked university with an academic and institutional tradition that is over 100 years old. Choose from a Bachelor of Arts in Policing, Bachelor of Arts in Criminology and Policing, Master of Public Safety, and five graduate diplomas in the areas of emergency management, national security, countering crime, border strategies, and GIS and data analytics. Transfer credits apply for basic constable training towards a BA in policing. For more information, visit www.laurierpublicsafety.ca. Thank you for joining Blue Line, the podcast hosted by Blue Line. Canada's only independent national magazine for law enforcement. 